As the book of Genesis begins to tell God's creation story, the wonder and majesty of God creating and resting, sin soon entered the world. The fall happened. And then there was that whole issue with Cain and Abel and how Adam and Eve's heart must have been breaking. And then all of a sudden, as if out of anywhere before the story continues with Noah, in chapter 4, the second half of verse 26, we hear these words. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Creation, sin, murder, heartbreak, anguish, and in the midst of it all, God's people, the people began to worship the Lord. What does it mean to worship What does it truly mean to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why do we do it? How are we to do it? Who are we to worship? The word worship comes from the old English worth-ship. Worth-ship. To ascribe worthy and honor to another. As I said, in the beginning, God created the world and all that is in it. He created man and woman in his own image. And for the purpose of glorifying him both individually and together. God has created humanity to worship him together as a people of faith. Worshiping God is the appropriate response of creatures made in his image, for not only are we made to worship, but wouldn't you agree the Lord is truly worthy to be worshipped? Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2 said, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly things. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Can you remember the first time that you were in, say, a corporate worship gathering? Maybe it was here. Maybe it was someplace far, far away like me. (laughs) When I was seven to eight years old, I guess I had graduated to be able to come to big church. And I was still trying to figure out as we worshiped, as that hymn leader stood up there and had people sing to the Lord, as the pastor preached and then prayed what I thought was far too long. (laughs) And then there were Sundays where there were baptisms and we passed this bread and this juice around. Those are some of my early memories of worship. And so this week, as we encounter God's word to us in Psalm 95, we're continuing, as I mentioned at the outset, our series called Summer in the Psalms. This week, a call to worship, not just a part of a worship service, for those of you who are familiar, as we call one another to worship, but may your heart hear this is God's call to all of us to worship him. 
a call to worship we want to explore. And, you know, over the years, many people have understood that the Psalter, the Psalms, all 150 of them, are excellent scripture guides on how to worship. The word psalm simply means song. That's what psalm means, song. Psalms, the Psalms are Israel's hymn book. It is a collection of poems and worship songs from throughout their history. There are songs that refer to the time of Moses, the judges, the kings, to exile. And the purpose of the Psalms is to remind us that worship is at the center of everything. It's not just that box on your planner that you might just check off before you go on with your activities today. The Psalter is the heart and soul of the Old Testament. It is also a pathway into the presence of God. The human emotions it depicts and the God that it encounters help us make sense of life. All the variety of psalms. The songs of Israel in times of rejoicing, in times of sadness, in times when they were shaking their fists and their hearts at God. The Psalms are the single best guide to the spiritual life, says Ellen Davis. The single best guide. The Psalms are at the heart of Scripture and they unlock and express the secrets of our hearts, our deepest fears, our hopes, our longings, our dreams. And friends, in these fearsome and uncertain days, I believe we need the Psalms more than ever. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 95. Those of you who couldn't wait here to get here this morning and worship, and even, dare I say, some of us who might be here that were almost drug in from the parking lot, I want to especially think of those of us today who weren't sure that this worship thing, that this church gathering, this time of worship, or honestly, maybe you were wishing you were still in bed. The question to ask is, why are you here? Why are you trying to learn how to worship better, deeper, more honoring and glorifying to Jesus? Why are you wrestling with that? It's, if it's to impress or mislead others, that's not why you're here, right? That shouldn't be why you're here. But if it's because you believe something is good for you, then it's actually a good thing to force yourself to do what you don't want to do. Some days you might get up on a Sunday morning, and let's be honest, you just don't feel like coming and singing hallelujahs to Jesus, right? Are we being honest with one another? There are some days when it's just plain hard. Now, then there's exercise, right? <laughs> How many of us sometimes love to exercise? Someone who is out of shape will normally not find exercise exciting at first. But over time, if you stick at it, you'll come to enjoy and maybe even want to crave that morning jog or trip to the gym. But for some of us, as we think about worship and wanting to grow in our worship experience, when it comes to spiritual matters like worship, 
we might be less comfortable encouraging ourselves to do things that we just sometimes, if we're honest, don't feel like doing. Worship is on that list, friends. When you don't feel like worshiping is the time, some would say what? You need to do it the most. When we are being stubborn and selfish and stiff-necked and strong-willed, hard-hearted people, the cure is to engage ourselves in worship. It may sound like upside-down logic, but it's just at those moments when we need to engage ourselves in worship, to put the focus on God and to see how he can change our hearts in the light and the beauty and the power of his presence. Psalm 95, friends, is an invitation to this type or kind of worship. It's a call to worship God with your whole self, heart, mind, and strength, and in the midst of it to meet God and be transformed by him from the inside out. So I invite you to grab a Bible, to find Psalm 95 and listen not only with your ears, but also with your hearts, your minds, and your souls. Even if you don't feel like it this very minute, let's allow God's word to speak to us. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. And the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. He made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. That was a passage that Catherine read for us. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. God's word to us today. Praise and glory and then a sharp turn, right? Don't become hard-hearted when you worship. Don't show up and just check the box and then go out into the parking lot and all you know what breaks loose. And I think Psalm 95 can teach us a few things this morning. And so the first thing I want to to show you um, in the first two verses of Psalm 95 is that we're to worship 
through rejoicing. Worship through rejoicing. It is a call, friends, to a boisterous celebration of all that God has done, Presbyterian family. I love it. I love it. In our modern church, Presbyterians and all, we tend towards worship services that make us what? Comfortable. We use words like classic or traditional, modern and contemporary, charismatic and conservative. We argue about which is the right way and we get upset. But the truth is, worship is supposed to stretch us. This psalm shows us that a loud and quiet, joyful and reverent can stand side by side. And they need to stand side by side. We can't just worship how we want. We need to learn to worship God in all the ways he asked us to. Not because he needs or wants to be worshipped in a specific way, but because he knows what we need in order to enter fully into the life he has for us. And that's how this psalm ends, by the way, and we'll get there in a couple minutes. Psalm 95 ends with the life that God has for us. So we're to worship through rejoicing. However the Spirit leads you. The second thing I want to point out this morning, as if you would frame out verses 3 through 7, we're to worship through reverence. We're to worship through reverence, a call to reverent contemplation of who God is. That's, that's why we praise, because he's a God above all gods, lowercase g. He's the king above all kings. We're to bow down before him. We're to give him honor and glory and reverence for who he is. So worship through rejoicing, worship through reverence, and then finally, I believe verses 9 through 11 is the third thing this psalm teaches us. Worship through what? Obedience. You can go through all the motions of worship and still resist the tug of God on your heart. Sometimes we come and we love our worship bulletins, right? But instead of entering into the spirit of worship, here we go. Oh, we don't like that song. Shoot. Um, oh, I love that one. And then you go home. You were in worship, and yet you can go through all the motions of worship and still resist of the tug of God on your heart. Dear Dietrich Bonhoeffer, how many people have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer before? Yeah, what, a, what a, a godly man who gave his life standing up for the gospel in the midst of horrific Nazi Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, words that kind of challenged me this week when I read them. Dietrich said, the church is only the church when it lives for others. The church is only the church when it lives to others. To me, that means we have to live for others and friends, even in our worship, all of our worship, music included. 
Now, friends, sometimes we equate worship equals music alone, right? Is that all we do in worship is sing? No. Worship is prayers together, hearing and responding to God's word together, celebrating the sacraments of Holy Communion and baptism, interceding for one another. And I confess, if I were to do that checklist every week, I maybe wouldn't put some of these songs in my top ten either. But guess what? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. St. Augustine said this in his book, Confessions. If you've never challenged, uh, been challenged by a book that was written 16 centuries ago, read St. Augustine's Confession, where he voiced cautions about making an idol out of the music or any other aspects of worship when we gather to worship the living God. This is what he says. Nevertheless, Whenever it happens to me that I am more moved by the singing than what is actually sung, I confess that I am sinning grievously. Just a little strong opinion there. Convicting to me as well. If we focus merely on words or style and not what those words are singing, a lot of great hymns are footnoted in Scripture. A lot of songs of today tell the gospel in all its glory and all its rhythms in ways that are different to many of us. But nevertheless, when it happens to me that I am more moved by the singing than what is sung, I confess that I am sinning grievously. Church leadership received this note. I am no music scholar, but I feel I know appropriate church music when I hear it. Last Sunday's new hymn, if you can call it that, sounded like a sentimental love ballad one would expect to hear crooned in a saloon. If you insist on exposing us to rubbish like this in God's house, don't be surprised if many of the faithful look for a new place to worship. The hymns we grew up with are all we need. Friends, that letter, letter, letter was written in 1863 <laughs> about the song, Just As I Am. And so for all of my dear friends who feel the organ or piano or guitar or drums is God's selected instrument for worship and surely played in heaven by the angels, keep in mind that at one time that which is now traditional was at one point modern and contemporary. And that which is now modern will someday become what? A tradition. My preference is just that, my preference. And I believe what Psalm 95 calls us to. Remember, it's the Lord who authored the Psalms, who created B minors and F flats. I honestly don't know what they are. <laughs> they sound great. Who created the world, who, who created the world out of nothing. This is the God whom we gather to worship. And so the takeaway this morning, let me, 
let me give you a takeaway this morning. The psalm ends with what? Rest. The psalm ends with rest because that is what God wishes to give those who follow him. Rest. He calls us through worship into a life following him, a life that ends with fulfillment and rest. The Israelites at the temple probably engaged and sang what we know as Psalm 95 and many others. And the fertile concept for them was indicating their possession of a place where she is secure from all eternal threats and internal calamities. In other words, Israel's rest was found in land, the promised land. Today for us, eternal heavenly rest, a peace which surpasses all human understanding through faith, through entrusting our lives to the one who created us in our mother's womb and called us into being, your hand needs to go into that hand of the good shepherd. It's alluded there in Psalm 95. That's what came to mind. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Jesus is what? The good shepherd. That's where our hand must go. That's where we find our rest, when we entrust our lives to him. When it comes to corporate worship, our times together, I believe corporate worship also is to soften our hearts as well. Soften our hearts and to listen to God's word read, studied, and taught. Israel failed to do this. Part of the story that Catherine read for us is also found in the book of Exodus. They were mumbling and grumbling. Basically, they wanted to go back to where? Egypt. And in this case that we heard of this morning, they were grumbling about no water and why are we here and will we ever get to that place of rest? It's very interesting, friends, that in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and 4 is really an exposition of Psalm 95 from a New Testament perspective telling us that we too can fail. We can miss the mark. We can miss God's rest for us, that eternal heavenly rest. In Christ, we are offered not a physical promised land, but the ultimate rest, rest from the crushing burden of self-salvation. We have to work harder. We have to try harder. We have to be gooder through effort and performance. Why wouldn't everyone want to enter a rest that's not about me, but all about Jesus? Why wouldn't we want that? Worship is to draw us into that reminder, not about checking off boxes or likes and dislikes. It's a freedom unknown to many of us here this morning. It's a freedom that is on the far side of trusting God rather than ourselves. And so this morning, as we close and before I pray, I want to read to you an excerpt from Hebrews um, chapter 3 and into chapter 4, where the writer 
of Hebrews is reminding, reminding the people of God based on Psalm 95 that we can say the hallelujahs and yet we can still miss God's rest. We can still miss that tug on our hearts, our growth that he wants us to have in him as we worship. Verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 3 says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that he would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, and friends, it still stands for you and me today. Entering rest still stands today. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good News proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Unbelief, Hebrews tells us, was the the downfall of the first generation out of Egypt missing the rest of God. And friends, we can miss that eternal rest. We can come to worship. Worship doesn't get us into glory, friends. Worship is a response, a grateful response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And we're to grow in that worship every time he gives us that opportunity. And so, friends, enter the rest of Jesus today. Amen? Father, how we all need rest. We're all weary with obeying the dictates of our fears and our drives our need for approval and control. We need the deep peace of soul that comes when we stop trying to earn our salvation through our works and rest in your son's finished work of salvation. So may we hear your call to worship to each of us, the call to worship you in spirit and in truth, boisterously, reverently, and in obedience. May we grow in this understanding day by day. Fill us with your peace, and may we enter your eternal rest. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.